We are in a series called We Are Family, and we're looking at the nature and mission of the church, Uh, God's church in general, but also our local church. And, uh, you know, God uses a number of metaphors in scripture to describe his people, his family, to describe the church. Uh, and to help us understand our relationship with him. And, and one of the, uh, the most applicable and just easiest ones for me to understand, maybe for you too, is this idea of being his family. And as we look uh, at the nature and mission of God's family, uh, we've been actually using the mission statement for our extended family, the, great, the Evangelical Free Church of America. And as a movement, here's what uh, our mission is. We exist Uh, to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches among all people. We're gonna talk about that all people piece today. Uh, But to kick off the series, we had some friends from another free church in Detroit, Michigan earlier in October. And they they made it clear to us, you know, they're planting, they've planted churches in the inner city of Detroit, Restore Church especially, uh, that, that the church is to be, God's family is to be about his glory, about his glory. It's all about Jesus. And then next we looked at how do you become a part of that family? You know, just showing up on a Sunday morning doesn't make you part of God's family. Showing up and going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Repenting of your sin, trusting Jesus Christ, that makes you a Christian. That makes you part of his family and you move from being his creation to his child and you're adopted into the family. Thanks to your good big brother, Jesus. Well, uh, after this, uh, we saw that for a couple of weeks as a movement, we want to plant transformational churches. And, and as a church, we desire to be transformational, transformational internally as individuals, seeing the Lord Jesus transform our lives by the power of his spirit and his word. And then also to be transformational in our community, that if we would disappear, there would be a large felt uh, miss, what am I looking for here? It would be felt, there we go stumbling over my words, but it would be very much felt that, that we want to be involved. We want to be salt that counters evil and light that advances good in our community. For God's glory, others good and our joy. Well, um, today, this week, we're gonna narrow in on that phrase towards the end of the mission that we wanna be transformational. We want to plant and multiply transformational churches among all people. So what does it look like to be a church that's for everyone, for all people? Well, let's pray. And then uh, we're gonna talk about that this morning. Father, thank you for the great privilege it is to be a part of your church, to be a part of your family. And uh, we thank you for Jesus who adopts us into your family because of his finished work on the cross and his resurrection. Uh, Lord, this morning, as we talk about some of these things, being a church for all people. Lord, that can be a a challenging thing. It can uh, really uh, poke at and uh, even um, stir up uh, maybe some of our own uh, insecurities and prejudices. And uh, I pray this morning though, that by your spirit, you would help us to overcome those things. And that you truly would uh, transform us. We want to be transformational. That you would transform us to have a heart for and to be representative of all people here, even at Wallace Sea. 
love you. Uh, we pray against the enemy of servants their works and effects. He would never want to see that happen, but would rather stir strife and division and confusion. Instead, let your word be clear. Teach me even as I speak. Speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, often I, I kind of craft my outline as I preach into a sentence. Have you noticed that? It's just kind of, if you put it all together, you have one sentence. And this morning, we're going to start with a piece here that, that you know, that we've talked about a lot, but that the church is sent. The, the church is sent. Our mission statement as a local church is that we are sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. Here's, here's what I mean by this is, see, our God is a missionary God. He went from one place and one culture and one reality into our world. Jesus is the ultimate cross-cultural missionary. Think about it. He, He lived life in perfection. I mean, with, with no sin in the presence of the father. And what does he do? Jesus, God himself, he puts on flesh and he steps down into his creation, into a broken, messed up world. And he becomes one of us so that he could bring the gospel to us so that he could be the gospel for us to save us and redeem us. And in fact, uh, when Jesus uh, was praying uh, the night before uh, he was crucified, he actually is praying to the father and he mentions us. Did you know that? Because he prays for his disciples. And then he says, and I also pray for everyone who would believe in my name because of their witness, which ultimately extends to us. Jesus prayed for you the night before he was crucified. And one of the things he prayed is this. He said, Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Friends, we're sent. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been sent into the world to be out and among all people. In other words, uh, every ethnicity, see, uh, Jesus, here were some of his final words before his ascension. He said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, after his resurrection, he tells everyone, he says, go therefore, and he tells us, go therefore and what? Make disciples of who? All nations. That word nations there, Greek word for nations is the term ethnos. Does that sound familiar to you in any way? Ethnos, it's, it's the word that we get the term ethnicity from. So when he says, go make disciples of all nations, he's not, he's, he's not only saying, you know, all the different nations of the world. He's saying, no, all the different peoples of the world, the different people groups, every ethnicity. Like heaven is going to be like this great kaleidoscope of God's creativity. There's going to be like super white people like me, just kind of pasty. And then there's going to be people of every ethnicity and culture and color and language and tongue on the face of the earth. Isn't that great? It's fantastic. That's God's heart. And uh, he tells us, I mean, we get a glimpse of that. If you look at Revelation chapter seven, verse nine, he says, after this, John wrote, I looked, he's getting a glimpse of, of heaven. He says of the throne and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. There it is from every nation, every ethnicity, from every tribe, all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. As we talk about this transformation uh, being for all peoples, we're talking about everyone everywhere, all ethnicities. There is no market on the gospel. 
It's for everyone. And as we talk about, you know, the need for transformation being for everyone, it, it'd probably be good to recognize the day and age in which we live. You know, we're living in a time when the gospel mindset that we're gonna look at today is more needed than ever and has more potential to advance the gospel than ever, I believe, in history. Because God has filled his creation with incredible diversity and beauty, especially among people. Uh, There's an incredible diversity of peoples around the globe with different languages and customs and traditions and beliefs and values and art forms. It's beautiful. And it's a reflection of God's creativity and his glory. But that same creativity, the enemy has used to stir division and strife and untold wickedness. See, what, what God uh, has created to be a reflection of his beauty, the enemy has taken and caused us in our pride and selfishness, instead of recognizing that to glorify the creator, uh, turning uh, people against one another, pitting uh, different ethnicities and languages and tongues and nations against one another. And uh, the enemy has used uh, this diversity then to cause untold devastation, conflict, and suffering through uh, demonic wickedness like racism. Make no mistake, racism is absolutely demonic. It is. To look at someone else based on the color of their skin or their ethnicity or the language that they speak It's demonic. The gospel is for everyone, anywhere. And uh, there was an article even of a, of a church, a large church just this last week that uh, they had called a new pastor to be voted on by the congregation. It was an interracial couple. The pastor was black, his wife was Caucasian. And uh, there were a handful of people in the church that stirred things up and started calling around, uh, making statements against his race and against their marriage, being unglorifying to God. And uh, it was voted down by a small percentage. It didn't meet the threshold they needed. Friends, that sort of stuff has no place in the church. Jokes that deal with ethnicity, that make fun of someone's ethnicity is absolutely unacceptable among the people of Jesus Christ. And so when you hear it, you need to shut it down because it's demonic wickedness. The gospel is for all people, anywhere. And in our modern day, globalization and migration have brought uh, some of these things to the surface in terms of some of the prejudices that we all carry with us in our hearts and in our spirits. See, uh, the reality is everyone does come to the table with some prejudice. You can't avoid it. It's a certain lens through which you see the world, a certain lens with which we see people. Now, the the idea here is if we're gonna be a church among all people and for all people, we need to be aware of those prejudices that we carry with us and we need to check them at the door. Rather rather than just check them at the door like a coat check that we pick up on our way out, we, we need to donate it to Goodwill and get rid of it, right? 
So, but it takes being self-aware and recognizing that we all carry with us some form and some degree of prejudice. And it's a natural thing. Uh, you know, prejudice simply defined is a preconceived notion or opinion about something. That's a simple definition. It's just this pre-judgment. That's where the word comes from. And, and we, we have prejudice about all kinds of things. Some that are just inconsequential. Like which way should the toilet paper hang off the roll? Over the front or over the back? Depending on how you grew up, you have maybe different prejudice on that. But then there's also some that are absolutely life-altering and defining that we may carry with us. You know, it runs a lot deeper than trivial things. And this is where prejudice can quickly become wickedness. As we sin in our prejudice toward other people who bear God's image. And so I'm going to read you a list of things here uh, that commonly stir up uh, or or trigger some uh, type of reaction, even if only internally, that reveals our prejudice towards people. And sometimes this is an an aspect for individuals, for each of us. And and sometimes this can be a thing for, for a whole group of people, for a church, for all of us. So just, just think about these things uh, that you may have and carry some prejudice about. Uh, Maybe it's about someone's wealth and you look at someone who has more wealth than you and you immediately think something about them. Maybe it's their lack of wealth and their lack of an ability to hold a job. And so you immediately have some preconceived judgments about them. Maybe it's their personality or their lack thereof. Just joke, that's, that's, that's a joke, you can laugh. Maybe, because uh, this is gonna be heavy, maybe it's the area of the country they grew up in. Did they grow up in the Midwest, like us? Or are they from the Northeast or the West Coast? Or are they only kinda like us and just kinda redneck? How about their physical characteristics, how they dress, their weight, their beauty, their haircut, their tattoos. Maybe there's prejudice about their age. Oh, they're just old. Oh, they're just, they're so young. Let's dive a little deeper still though. What about their religion? Think of somebody with a different religion than yours or lack of religion. What's your preconceived judgment about them? How about their political party? How could anybody vote for that person? What about their nationality? What about their immigration status? What about the color of their skin? What about the language they speak? Or the language they don't speak? What about their gender? This can go both ways, by the way, too, right? Men can look down and be... uh, misogynistic towards women, but women can also look at men and put them all just a whole bunch of jerks and hate them all. What about not just your prejudice towards gender, but what about the gender that someone identifies themselves as? What about their sexual lifestyle? Wait a second, Josh, now you're talking about things that are clearly potentially sinful according to scripture. You're right. I am. I mean, we make no bones about it, right? God's word's very clear about using our sexuality in a way that honors and glorifies him. 
that marriage is for one man, one woman, one lifetime. But at the same time, people who don't know Jesus, who've maybe embraced a lifestyle outside of that, guess what? They're also created in God's image. They're incredibly, unexpressively of value to him. So here's why I bring all this up. If we're gonna be a church that's truly sent to love people, we've, we've gotta check our prejudice at the door because our prejudice comes in and it, it hinders us from really loving. It, 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 it gives us an excuse to write people off because you know they'll, they'll never trust Jesus. Why am I even gonna, or, or man, look at the way they're, I can't, I shouldn't love them. And we all carry prejudice with us. The key is to see it in your own heart, repent of it where you need to, and learn to see people the way God does. Made in his image, needing the restoration that only the gospel provides. And that God's design then for those of us who've trusted Jesus is that we would reflect his creativity, his goodness, his glory in every interaction we have. Amen. So now that we all feel, feel really good about ourselves, let's leave these things at the foot of the cross and with our hopes, our hearts hopefully a little bit tender, let's look afresh at the mandate for the church to be a church for all people. Amen. Let's do that. So here's the game plan today. We're gonna to look at two, uh, just briefly, we're gonna complete this sentence about the church being sent uh, with kind of two things that were uh, mandated to do according to scripture. And then we're gonna look at an example of it, a vivid one in scripture. So we're gonna move uh, fairly quickly through these. First off, the church is sent to reach everyone. It's sent to reach everyone. Now that we've established, you know, uh, we've been sent, we we're to be sent without prejudice. We're sent to love people, but but who? Well, God's word seems to indicate the answer to that question is everyone. According to Jesus' command, we're sent to love and reach everyone. This is the call and goal of missions for everyone to have an opportunity to hear and believe the gospel. We, we already saw it. Jesus said, go therefore make disciples of all nations. It's called the great commission. It's what he's commissioned us to do, to reach everyone. And we've already said all nations, ethnos, it means ethnicities. This didn't, by the way, originate in the New Testament with the Great Commission. This was God's plan from the beginning, that, that all people, all nations would worship him. He, even Go back to Abraham. He said, Abraham, um, through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. God's plan was for all the nations to be blessed through him. This was God's plan from the beginning that everyone would have the opportunity to believe the gospel. After Jesus' resurrection, though, the disciples were still looking for the establishment of his earthly kingdom, which is coming. But Jesus redirected their attention to their mission while they were waiting. He said in Acts 1.8, the great commission is make disciples. Here we see kind of the great priority that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where they were to Judea, to the nearby communities and Samaria, the places maybe they didn't want to go that was nearby and even to the ends of the earth. 
The priority was to start here in Jerusalem and then expand out everywhere to the ends of the earth. The idea was for the gospel, not only to cross geographic barriers, but cultural, ethnic, religious ones from the city to the country and the country to the city, from the Jews to the Greeks. It was for everyone. We say it like this, all people matter. That means here, near, and far. We need to share and spread the gospel. But often the church uh, can be historically kind of slow to embrace this. It was even the case then. Did you know that? Did you realize that in fact, it was only, uh, Jesus gave this command and then uh, the disciples, the, the Holy Spirit came, Pentecost came, and then they never really left Jerusalem to the ends of the earth until what happened? God sent and allowed persecution to drive them out of Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And that's when the gospel began to spread because I don't know. I mean, I get it. Yeah, they're supposed to receive the gospel, but I'm not so sure I really wanna go there to them. This is just like, like prejudice is wired into us from because of our sin, isn't it? And it was even evidence then between the, the, the conflict between Jews and Greeks was, uh, was really profound. And that first major bridge was bridged when the Samaritan or barrier was bridged when the Samaritans received the gospel. The Ethiopian eunuch who we're gonna look at took the gospel to Africa. Peter had to receive a vision from God three times before he was willing to go into Cornelius's house. But then when Cornelius, a Roman centurion trusted the gospel, the change was dramatic and profound and the effects far reaching. See, uh, we're sent to reach everyone, to go into the world. But what's kind of cool is in, in that day, uh, God sent persecution to drive them out into the world. Today, uh, he seems to be, at least in the places that we all live, he seems to be bringing the world to us. Modern globalization, migration, the internet, it's brought the nations to us. I mean, we're still sent to go but the trip is a lot shorter maybe in a lot of cases. Uh, the completion of this mission for everyone to hear the gospel is not in question. God is gonna accomplish that. And one of the ways he's accomplishing it, I believe in this day and age is, is through uh, the, the globalization of the world. I mean, you, you can be anywhere in the world in the matter of 24 hours, which is unprecedented in human history. And not only that, but people from all over the world are, are migrating at an incredible pace that didn't happen 20, 30 years ago. And so uh, the gospel has great opportunity in this day and age. Do you know, um, by some estimates today, two of five people in the world live where there's no local church as a gospel witness in their language and culture. Two out of five, no gospel church. It's like I could probably rattle off about 10 within a five mile radius of us right now. That's incredible. And so part of what God has been doing is bringing people to the places where they can hear the gospel. And the United States, where we happen to live, where God has sent us, is moving rapidly towards becoming a land that has no majority ethnicity or single dominant culture. Did you know that? 
So God has sent us to reach everyone. And that means the people across the street who are like us and who are not. The people in our county, in our state, in our country, to the ends of the earth. The church has been sent, we've been sent to reach everyone. And by the way, to embrace anyone. Now it's one thing to believe. I mean, it's easy to go, yeah, yeah. We gotta take the gospel everywhere. Yeah, right? Rah, rah. But how about when it comes to uh, embracing diversity that steps on my preferences? Now it's a whole new game, isn't it? See, it's a whole nother ball game to truly embrace diversity of people in our own church. We, we've seen how the early church struggled to do that. I and mean, it, it took persecution for God to send them out, uh, but they also faced internal conflict related to that diversity once it happened. The, the Hellenistic Jews were, uh, the Greek Jews were upset with the Hebrew Jews over who was getting meals, you know, some of the widows. And so in Acts chapter seven, there were deacons appointed and, but once that conflict was resolved and it was an ethnic one, once that conflict was resolved, the gospel just started going. And God does incredible things when those things are set aside. We claim no sacred cows as a value. For Paul, it was. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. And he he says even more than this, but I'm just reading a couple of verses. I've become all things to all people that by all means, I might save some. He's like, there's nothing I wouldn't let go of other than the gospel and Jesus himself. If it meant more people could meet Jesus and know him, especially people different than me. Do we have no sacred cows? He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them and its blessings. Friends, we need to lay down our preferences for the sake of the gospel, be willing to embrace anyone because God is not partial. And so there should be no partiality, no prejudice, no discrimination, no segregation among God's people. We need to embrace everyone anywhere along their faith journey. But, but no, it, we embrace them, but we don't embrace their sin right? Hear me clearly. We still preach the gospel. We still hold to what's true, but we hold to that truth with very much grace and with tenderness and tender hearts, knowing that if it wasn't for God's grace, we too would be condemned to an eternity under God's wrath. But we need to be willing to embrace anyone We talked about it last Sunday. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. Why? Because he hung out with them so much. He was called a drunk. Why? Because he hung out with people who were so much. He was willing to embrace anyone. That's the kind of God we serve, that his gospel is available for anyone who would come to him. You're like, yeah, but it's exclusive. Like, I don't know that it's, that's why I can't believe the gospel because it's just like Jesus and nothing else. Yeah, but you know what? It's inclusive too, because Jesus says, whoever would come to me, anyone can be saved. We need to reach everyone anywhere, wherever they're at. You know, kind of like the old adage, some of you guys who are fishermen, you can't clean your fish before you catch them, can you? We need to be willing to embrace people who are messy. Not just messy, but just who are just different than us. 
because all people matter and God's offer of love and grace through Jesus is without prejudice. All people matter because we all bear God's image. Now, um, one of the things that comes to mind uh, to me is I wonder sometimes, uh, you know, we live in an area that uh, generally speaking is fairly much, I can't talk today is fairly homogenous in terms of race and ethnicity. However, do you realize that that's changing rapidly? Um, so in our, our, we're in the Milford zip code here, right? But we're also Milford and Syracuse. And in that dynamic, uh, I have access through, through the free church to some of our resources to look at demographic trends uh, through a website they subscribe to. And I ran that report this week. And uh, since the year 2000, the population of Hispanics and Latinos has risen from about 5% to 13%. I wonder, has the demographics and ethnicity of our congregation changed by that much? See, that's, I think, what would really represent diversity for us in terms of ethnicity is when we reflect our culture. Like I've told you, I have a, a friend uh, River Oaks is a church in Goshen, another uh, another free church. And I just mentioned them because I'm friends with their pastor and they have a Hispanic congregation that meets in Goshen. They call it River Oaks in Espanol. And uh, I've told them, hey, if you ever think about uh, you grow and you wanna plant the church this way, like we have a facility that's available. I didn't ask the elders about that. I just kind of said it. <laughs> but would you agree? Wouldn't that be awesome? And at the same time though, for us, even in our own preferences, uh, I, I pray about that. What, what, you know, how, how might that change over time for us? That we, is there things that we need to change? And, and it, sometimes it's just not even a matter of us being resistant to, us, it, to it. It can just be, um, it can be a matter of indifference, just not caring enough to do anything about it, you know? which can be equally as wrong. But God's created us and sent us as a church to reach everyone anywhere, to embrace anyone. Um, The church is sent to reach everyone, to embrace anyone. Now, as we've talked about that, let me look with you at an example where I think this gets played out in a big way in scripture. If you got your Bible, turn to Acts chapter eight. Uh, The whole passage is not going to be on the screen other than the reference, but you can read along with me. Acts chapter 8. Now, the book of Acts, again, it's called Acts because it's the Acts of the Apostles of the early church. It's the story of how the church went from uh, a few people following Jesus and just went into a movement. And we get a glimpse of how that movement took off. So in Acts chapter 8, I'm going to start in verse 26. It says, now the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord came to Philip and said to Philip, rise and go to the south toward the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. He gives us a clue into what that would have been like. So Philip, he is obedient. It says in verse 27, he rose and he went. And as he's going, it says, uh, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. So the angel says to to Philip, hey, Philip, you need to go south. 
He doesn't tell him why or what is gonna happen. He just says, go, and Philip goes. And he gets there, he runs into an Ethiopian, which uh, wouldn't be modern day Ethiopia, but probably more modern day Sudan. Somebody who is probably a very different skin color than Philip, a different language for sure, uh, probably of different wealth. It says that he was the treasurer of Queen Candace and he had access to all of her treasure and wealth. So this guy probably lived a pretty opulent lifestyle. I mean, he was in his, uh, it says chariot, or uh, is that what it said in that translation? Um, he, he was, so in, in uh, he, he had transportation, he, he had wealth. That's where I'm going. This guy was a lot different than Philip. But beyond that, I think something we don't see is that uh, somebody who is a eunuch who had emasculated themselves was considered an incredible outcast in that day. They were looked upon as socially and sexually deviant in their culture. They weren't allowed to come into the court to worship among God's people. I mean, they were, they were the low of the low and far on the outside. And yet God tells Philip, I just, I wonder for Philip, because he would have known these things, even in God's word, there were commands about this uh, for them in the Old Testament. When Philip saw him, I kind of wonder, we don't get the dialogue. I wonder if he thought for a moment, hold on, we go talk to him. You know who that is, God? He's a eunuch, he's got incredible wealth. He's not from here, but he goes. Look what happens. If you were wondering, by the way, it was Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse one, that said uh, someone who is a eunuch could not, must be cut off from the assembly of the Lord, not allowed to worship with them. But anyway, this guy had, he was a, a God-fearer to some degree because he came to Jerusalem to worship, the end of verse 27. But now verse 28, he was returning. He probably got to Jerusalem. Maybe he'd been there before, maybe not. But he certainly wasn't allowed to come into the temple courts to worship. He was to remain outside. People like you aren't allowed here. But he goes, and now he's going home. He was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, having a copy, your own copy of scripture in that day would have been incredibly rare. And again, another testament to this guy's access to wealth. But I wonder a little bit too, it, it's, it's incredible because I have a feeling Isaiah would have been a favorite piece of scripture for this guy. Because of all the ways that he was outcast, Isaiah would have given a guy like this, a eunuch hope. Because in Isaiah 56, it says this, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. 
Isaiah makes this promise that, that there's coming a day when God is going to take those who are way far on the outside and undeserving and are going to give them a name that's greater than the name of sons and daughters. They're gonna be adopted into the family because of Jesus. The gospel's for everyone, especially those who are far off. And so the spirit said to Philip, hey, Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip uh, ran to him and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Now it would have been common in that day for people to read scripture out loud. So it wouldn't have been weird for him to hear him reading, but he hears him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, well, how can I, unless someone guides me? And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who, who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? Well, he was reading prophecy and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I, I have a question. Uh, who does the prophet say this about? Is he talking about himself or about someone else? You ever prayed for an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody? Man, if you're Philip in that moment, it's like ding, 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 ding. Here we go. Because what was that? What was the eunuch reading about? He was reading prophecy from hundreds of years before what had just happened a few months ago that, that related to Jesus. And so what's Philip do? He takes him where he's at in the text and he takes him straight to the cross. Takes him straight to Jesus. Look at this. Philip opened his mouth, good work, Philip. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, hey, here's some water. What prevents me from getting baptized? I wonder if he just expected Philip to say, well, you're a eunuch that prevents you from being baptized. But that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. I have a feeling that for the first time, this guy experienced the acceptance and joy and grace of the gospel. And so he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water and Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. According to church tradition, he is the first one then now to actually fulfill Acts 1.8 to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. An incredibly unlikely guy. And he's credited with the planting of churches throughout Africa. Friends, the gospel's for all people. Now I should say just really quickly, if you've trusted Jesus and you haven't been baptized, I'll ask you the eunuch's questions. What's preventing you from that? It's just a simple public act of faith saying, hey, I wanna identify as a follower of Jesus in his grace. Let us know. We'll schedule it for some Sunday morning just for you if you're the only one. We'd love for you to take that act and step of faith. But for all of us, here's what we see here. We see this eunuch, somebody who is totally different than Philip and Philip goes to him. He's sent to him with the gospel to reach him and he's sent to embrace him, to embrace anyone because he was absolutely unlikely to be embraced. 
is it that he's sending you to this week? Who's he sending you to? You're sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with you. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for the good gifts you give us to through him and the great gift of eternal life, especially that you give us. Lord, you've shown no partiality toward us. We're sinful. We don't deserve your blessing. We don't deserve your salvation yet. You offered it to us. And for those who believed Jesus, you've given it to us. Lord, I pray for us as your people that you would help us um, to be a church that truly lives out the mission of being sent to love anyone, anywhere, and to invite them to follow Jesus with us. Lord, I pray for those who are uh, likely here today who've never made that decision to trust you. Would you make it clear to them that no matter what they've done, no matter what's been done to them, no matter anything, there's nothing that could separate them from your love and grace if they would turn to you in faith. If that's you, it's a simple act of faith to become a Christian. Jesus accepts you with open arms. You simply acknowledge your need for a savior, that you're sinful, that you deserve God's wrath like all of us do in our sin. But recognizing that Jesus paid the penalty for you on the cross. And if you would repent, which simply means to turn, to change your mind, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your lips that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It has nothing to do with anything you've done, but everything to do with all that Jesus has done. If you make that decision today, I'd love to hear about it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We pray all of this through him.